0: So this evening's reading is Jeremiah, chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim, in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, Where is the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt, and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels, and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Kittim and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has been ever anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared, they have growled at him, they have laid waste his land, his towns are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Tapanes have shamed the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now, why go to Egypt to drink water from the Shihor? And why go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Your wickedness will punish you, your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of him, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? Although you wash yourselves with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say I am not defiled, I have not run after the bales? See how you behaved in the valley, consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel, running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. This is God's word. Good
1: evening, my name's uh, Richard. I'm on the staff here. I uh, work mainly with international students who are in the congregation. I can see already some people eyeing this up. This isn't just because I'm very uh, thirsty. This evening we're thinking, you can see from the back of the service sheet, the outline there, the title is Sin is Drinking. Sin is Drinking. So let me say right from the start, uh, it's our habit normally after church to head to a pub around the corner. We're still going this evening. Uh, anyone who wants to come will be there. Uh, what we're, In fact, we're not thinking about alcohol at all this evening. What we're thinking about, really, is drinking water. We've already seen that the verse from Isaiah that Simon took us to. We're thinking, over this month, a series of sermons on pictures or images the Bible gives to explain what sin is and what it's like. And this week, sin is drinking. That is, it is finding life and satisfaction in the wrong places. That's what we're going to be thinking about this evening. Uh, Sin is drinking, and then we'll go to the pub when we're finished. Uh, But why don't we pray? As we start, as we come to God's word, Father God, you know we don't want to think about sin. There are lots of things this evening we could be doing that we would enjoy more, that we would find more fun, that we'd find less uncomfortable. But Father, you've spoken, you speak these words of Jeremiah for our good. Father, we thank you that this evening you will help us to see more clearly what we're like. Even more than that, we know that you speak to show us what we're like so we can see what you're like. We've sung, our shame was deeper than the sea, but your grace is deeper still. And so, Father, please, this evening, would you speak through your word? Would you show us what we're like, help us to understand the world we're in? But even more, would you give us a new sight of your grace and your kindness to us? Amen. Well, I wonder what you think is the most shocking thing that's ever happened under heaven. Actually, I'm going to ask the question in a slightly different way, a slightly sillier way. Imagine, run with me for a minute, imagine we could take a spaceship, a big spaceship with a big microphone attached on the back of it, a sort of interview-type microphone, we we blast off from Cape Canaveral, wherever it is they go, take off, and we go and ask the sun, we go and ask the man in the moon, we take the big microphone and ask them, Guys, between you, you've seen everything that's ever happened on Earth. But like the sun is there in the day, the moon is there in the night, obviously. Uh, you've seen everything between you that's happened on the Earth. And what is the most shocking thing that you've seen people do over centuries of human history? What is the thing that even now when you think of it, you just you tense up? You shudder. What's the most shocking? Obviously, the sun and the moon, they don't talk literally. But I wonder... Did you hear, as we read Jeremiah, what the answer is, that the heavens are shocked by? I want to it's the same as you would think. Look down at verse 11. We're on page 756, if you've let it drop. Jeremiah 2, verse 11. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. See, it's not assault or murder or war. It's not family breakup or an evil dictator. According to Jeremiah 2, the thing that makes the heavens shudder, the sun and the moon, shudder as they watch humanity, is God's people turning their back on him and replacing him with other gods. Now, we need to say right from the beginning, then, that isn't because... Jeremiah or God thinks that the other things are okay, that war is fine, that family breakup doesn't matter. In fact, later on in the chapter, we didn't have it read, but verse 34, God nails the people because he says the blood of the innocent poor is on your clothing. You've oppressed the poor. God hates that sort of behavior. In fact, one of the reasons in the Bible it's so bad that people turn from God is that when you get rid of him, when you get rid of the fear of him, when you get rid of his law, there's nothing left to stop us taking advantage of those who are weaker than us. There's nothing left to stop at the blood of the innocent poor being spilt by the wicked strong. That's one of the reasons why the heavens shudder when they see uh, this happening, when they see God being abandoned. But it's not the main reason that Jeremiah 2 focuses on. So what we're going to see this evening in Jeremiah 2 is that the reason the heavens shudder when they see God's people turning their back on him Is It is just the stupidest thing that's happened in the history of the world. Centuries of human history, the craziest thing is when people turn their back on God. Verse 13 is what helps us to see that, and it's our our main metaphor for this evening. My people have committed two sins. Verse 13, number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And number two, they've dug their own cisterns broken systems that can't hold water. God says that he is like this. I mean, obviously this is a jug, not a spring, but he is like this. He's living water. I don't know what your day's been like. I've been outside quite a lot today. And so this full of ice and water, it's, it's looking good to me. I saw Leah's face. It looks like her need is greater than mine. But that sort of water, isn't that what you want on a day like this? especially on a day like this, the water that gives you uh, life and refreshment and energy and joy. And God says that's what he is. He is, spiritually, a spring of living water. But his people have turned their back on him. And this is what they're uh, drinking. This was uh, in the gutter outside our house uh, with a nice bit of moss. I'm not, no, I'm not. I would have done on camp, but not here. Uh, <laughs> That is what God's people are choosing to drink spiritually. When this is on offer, that's what they're drinking. You see this metaphor of a cistern. It's not a toilet cistern. They dig a hole in the ground, in the mud, in the dirt. And they'd wait for the rain to come and fill it up. Sort of like a well, but filled from the rain rather than underground. And that would be their source of water. But it's just a hole in the mud. So it fills up with all sorts of mud and green things and whatever else is in there. It's in the sun all day. It warms up, it becomes tepid. And then, even worse, it's a broken system. The walls crack in the heat, and the water runs away. So you just get a little dribble at the bottom, a puddle of muddy water. And Jeremiah 2 is here to persuade us that as crazy as it is to turn away from this water and drink that, that's how crazy it is for God's people to turn away from him and look to other gods. That's what Jeremiah 2 is here to persuade us of. The substitutes, the replacements for God, they look good. They offer us our heart's desires. They offer us freedom and identity and security. But all of those promises are false. They're lies. And it turns out that all the people are doing is drinking sludge from a hole in the ground. Sin is drinking. Sin is drinking. It's drinking that when this is on offer. It's turning from the fountain of living water and drinking muddy pond water. Just before we jump into the chapter, there's one more thing we need to see and be clear on, which is that Jeremiah is speaking to God's people. In fact, nearly through the whole book, there's hardly anything in Jeremiah addressed to the nations outside. There's a little bit. But the vast majority, and certainly this chapter, is speaking to God's people who've turned their back on him. We know from chapter one that Jeremiah was preaching during the time of the last few kings of Judah. So he preached towards the end of the nation of Judah before they were sent into exile in Babylon as God's judgment on them. So he's speaking to God's people who are forgetting him and ignoring him. And in case it's not clear, at the beginning of chapter 2, just look where it starts. In verse 2, Jeremiah is told, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Listen to some of these words. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me, you followed me. Verse 3, Israel was holy to the Lord. It's, It's these people who started so well with God who loved him and followed him that have turned away from him that Jeremiah is talking to here. So if you're here this evening uh, and will call yourself a Christian, it's worth being very clear as we start that none of us is beyond this, none of us is beyond what we see in Jeremiah T. However good your start has been as a Christian, as a church, however good our start has been, whatever love and devotion and following there is, in all of our hearts is this tendency to do what the people are doing here, to turn from God and turn to other places. We need to know if we're here as Christians that none of us is beyond this. And if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this evening. It's useful to know Jeremiah isn't talking directly to you as he speaks. I hope you'll find it useful. I hope you'll find it interesting. And maybe it'd be useful just to think as you listen, as you see what Jeremiah says, does this help to explain the world? The world that you've seen, the experience of life that you've had. Does this diagnosis that people are drinking in the wrong places how does it help to explain what you've seen in the world, if it does? So there we are. Jeremiah is talking to God's people. He's persuading them that what they're doing spiritually is sticking their heads in a ditch and drinking that. And we're going to see that three things that dead water offers. Identity, security, freedom. And all of them are false offers. So let's jump in. Let's start. Verses 5 to 8. We'll see that dead water offers false identity. False identity. The people followed these other gods because they wanted to be more than they'd been. They wanted to be made something of. But actually they were reduced. They were made into less than they'd ever been. Look at verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They became, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Do you see what's happening there? People were made in the image of the one true God. We were made to be like him, to know him as we worship him and live for him. That's our true identity, made in the image of the one true God. But instead, they've gone after worthless idols. Idols that are just a pale reflection of what the true God is like. And so they've become worthless themselves, trading in their true identity for a false identity, worthlessness as they follow worthless idols. And from verse 6 onwards, we get a description of what the God they were meant to follow is like. The God they were meant to look like is like. This is the God who's a spring of living water. Look at verse 6. They did not ask, where's the Lord, who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests didn't ask, where's the Lord? Those who deal with the Lord did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. See that phrase again at the end we had at the beginning. Worthless idols. They're worthless because they can't do the things that the Lord has done. There is no God in the world apart from the Lord who can rescue a people from slavery in Egypt. Who can keep them safe in the desert for 40 years and provide everything they need. Who can bring them into a land that's rich with blessing and produce. The idols are worthless But they aren't powerless, not entirely. There's one thing that the idols can do, which is to make us like them. Idols can make us like them. That's verse 5. They followed worthless idols, and they became worthless themselves. We become like our gods. That's the point here. For them that meant worthlessness. They were following a worthless idol, they became worthless. The bigger point is we become like our gods. Just very quickly, let's... We must run around the world and think about some of the world's religions and see how that works out. We become like our gods. This is going to be very uh, brief and superficial, but see if you get the idea. If you're a Muslim, then God is absolutely one. That's the most fundamental thing you can say about God. And so the culture is often uniform. It becomes one. And a convert to Islam will often take an Arabic name or dress or appearance. On the other hand, if you're a Western capitalist, then the individual rules and the culture becomes individualistic. So we have me time, we have be true to yourself, we avoid eye contact on the tube in case someone gets in the way. Then if you're a Hindu, there are many gods. They're arranged into a complicated hierarchy and the culture looks the same. People in a caste system put into classes and organised in a complicated hierarchy, separated from each other. Two more, then we're done. Uh, For an atheistic nihilist, which I struggle to say, who thinks that there is no purpose. At the top of the universe, there's just meaninglessness. Death mocks everything. Well, then life starts to follow that. Life on earth becomes meaningless and undirected. On the other hand, a Buddhist also believes there isn't a God, but thinks there is a purpose in life. Thinks that ultimate reality is it is the oneness of the universe apart from physicality. And so the Buddha starts to live like that, to separate from the world through meditation. Oh, could keep going. Stop there. Do you see how in the cultures of the world, the religions of the world, wherever you look, people become like our gods. Whatever we think is in the heavens, whatever we think is the ultimate shape of the universe, that's the shape that we take on ourselves. And you might think, okay, that's an interesting snapshot, or you might not, you might be glad it's over. But what's it got to do with us, Christians following Jesus? Surely that means we just become like Jesus. That's good, right? Well, it's just worth thinking. It means that if we get Jesus wrong, then down the line somewhere there'll be a run-on effect in our behavior because we become like our gods. So if instead of the Bible's Jesus, we have a Jesus that we've imagined or invented or our culture's imagined and invented and pushed onto us, If we have a Jesus who's different than the Bible's Jesus, who's less than him, then down the line there'll be consequences. Let me just give an example. This is one way this could work. When you open the newspaper, I assume you find the same thing I do, and you go to see what's happening in the world, you get the impression that God really isn't needed. The world's carrying on quite fine without him. You open the newspaper, what happened yesterday in the world? Important people did important things. That's what the news is. There's politics, there's opinion, there's art, there's sports. Important people doing important things. Now, of course, in reality, every column of every article on every page should scream that God is at work in his world, that Jesus Christ is building his church. And so, in an ideal world, over the politics section, it would be stamped, there is no authority except that which God has established. Over the arts or the sports, stamped in big letters, Jesus Christ gives gifts to people for them to enjoy, over the obituaries that the Lord holds life and death in his hands and he gives and takes as he wills, even over the weather it should say, God sends rain, God sends sun, because everything from elections in the Middle East to sunny spells in Taunton, it's all about God, it's from God, it's for God, it's through God but I've never picked up a copy of The Metro and got that impression from it. What I've got the impression is that important people did important things. And celebrities did some things as well. But important people did important (laughs) things. And we can get on quite happily without God. And the more I read that, the more I live in that world, the more I read websites, the more I have conversations that say the same thing, the more that gets into my head. The more I think of Jesus as one who the world can get on quite happily without. And as my God gets smaller and weaker and becomes less of a sovereign Lord and more of a spectator cheering on from the sidelines, well, I find that's what my life becomes as well. It means I think we become afraid to take a risk and do something for Jesus in case God doesn't really have our back when it goes wrong. It means I find our prayers become timid and half-hearted and feeble because we're not really sure what God can do. We ask him for top-ups in a world that's basically carrying on without him. It means we're slow to speak up for Jesus. And when the conversation comes up in the office or at home where people are talking about moral things or spiritual things, just hoping no one asks me what I think in case I have to say something about Jesus. You see, when those things happen, when our behavior is sub-Christian, at root, one of the reasons is that our God is sub-Jesus, Our behavior is sub-Christian because our God is sub-Jesus. We become like our gods is the big thing. We become like our gods. It matters who we think God is, who we think Jesus Christ is, because we become like our gods. Dead water offers false identity. That's the first thing, that's the longest thing. Let's carry on. Dead water offers false security is the second thing. It promises safety, it promises rescue, it promises fear uh, release from our fear, release from our enemies. And for a little while it might deliver those things, it might give security. But in the end, when we most need it, when we're most vulnerable, we find it just vanishes and leaves us high and dry. For God's people certainly that's how it went. See so we'll look down at verse fourteen. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? God's by the way is no, Israel was meant to be God's people, protected by him. Well then, why has he become plunder? Lions have roared, they've growled at him, they've laid waste his land, his towns have burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Taphanes have shaved the crown of your heads. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? See, they've turned their back on the God who is a spring of living water, the source of life, and so they've received death. And destruction They've been defeated by enemies. The soldiers are riding through the land unhindered. They're roaring like a lion who's brought down the prey. And then they come up with a cunning plan. Guys, I've had an idea. Let's change the rules. Let's pretend that God isn't the problem. Let's ignore that. Let's pretend the only problem is what we can see in front of us. Just the armies. Because then we can do something about it. Then we can sort it out. Then we can feel secure. And so verse 18, you get this question, now, why go to Egypt to drink water from the Shihor? Why go to Assyria to drink water from the river? Why go to those countries and make alliances and recruit their armies? Because it means we can feel secure. It means we can think our armies are as big as their armies, and now we're fine. As long as we pretend God isn't there, as long as we pretend he's not really our problem, then we can feel secure as we look around us and compare our armies to their armies. Well, verse 19 is how it ends for the people. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me declares the Lord. The Lord Almighty. Do you hear that irony at the end? The Lord Almighty, as in the one with all might. Which means that when He's on your side, you're pretty secure. And when he's against you, he is the biggest problem there is in the universe. The armies of Egypt, the armies of Assyria, what good are they going to do when the Lord Almighty turns up? They're going to vanish when the people most need them. What the people are doing with their cunning plan, with their changing the rules, it is just as stupid as spending hours bandaging up a paper cut on your finger while you're bleeding out of the side of your head and it's gushing out. They're ignoring the real problem and focusing on the one they can fix. And don't we do the same thing? We know that death is the real problem. It is the problem in our lives. Whatever our life is like, long or short, comfortable or not, we'll meet God, the almighty Lord as judge. But guys... Let's have a cunning plan. Let's change the rules. Let's pretend that our biggest problem is low self-esteem. Let's pretend our biggest problem is education or over-busyness or it's our singleness or it's our marriage. Because then I think we can do something about it. Then we can feel secure. Jesus told a story. I was going to read it. It's from Luke 12. You don't need to turn there. Jesus told a story about this. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself. See, Jesus' story is about a man who felt secure because at last the money had come in. The money had come in and now he thought he could just relax and take it easy because he was secure, he was set now for life. And as he's on the phone, I'm updating the story slightly, as he's on the phone calling the stockbroker to set up the meeting to sort out the new accounts, He doesn't see the bus coming and he's dead before he hits the floor. And God says, you fool. Why did you think you were secure because you had money? Why did you think you were secure? Jesus told his story about money, but couldn't it equally well be a story about body image? What we want to look like so that we can feel secure when people look at us when we we don't need to think what they're thinking. Once we're there, then we'll be secure. Then we'll be safe. It could be a story about parental approval. Getting to that point where our parents realise it's alright, we have made something of our lives. We don't need to worry what they think. Then we'll be secure. All of these things where we want to blinker our eyes, we want to pretend that God isn't the real problem. Let's make something else the problem, something we can fix, something we can feel secure about once we've done it. But with death coming, the security that anything in the world apart from the Lord Almighty can offer us, it's false. It is false security. And when we most need it, it'll be vaporized. I know this is rough going. It's not the funniest chapter in the Bible. There's one more thing we need to see And then the news gets a lot better. But there's one more thing we need to see from Jeremiah 2, which is that dead water offers false freedom. So as we've seen people chasing identity and security, we see the people chasing freedom. But it's probably not a surprise by now. It is a false freedom. It's a freedom, really, that makes them slaves and captures them. Verse 20 is sort of the headline of this section. Long ago, you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. I will not serve you. That's the cry of the people. We're free. We won't serve. We'll do what we want. No one else to call the shots. I will not serve you. And then Jeremiah whizzes through some images to see how that's worked out. I'm just going to read them. We don't have time to dwell on each one. But just see if you can feel their force. See if this is a people who are free or a people who are enslaved. From verse 20, you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree you lay down as a prostitute. I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt, wild vine? Though you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say I'm not defiled, I've not run after the bars? See how you behaved in the valley, consider what you've done. You're a swift she camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves at mating time they'll find her. See the picture is of people who are enslaved. I will not serve you is where it started. But the people are running in the desert. Anywhere that can offer them satisfaction. Anywhere that can offer them life. They're trying everything. They can't get enough. They can't clean themselves and change their desires, change their longings. They just try everything. And then verse 25 is where it ends up. The first few lines are advice to them. Don't run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. You're wearing yourselves out. You're not finding anything to quench the thirst in your throat. But you said... It's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. see what a shock that is coming so soon after I will not serve? Now the people are saying it's no use. I love them and I must go after them. I think what we're meant to see here really is the picture of the heroin junkie who isn't stupid. They know what they're doing to themselves. They know what they're doing to their body. They know what they're doing to their family. They know there's no joy in it. They know that the happiness is it's fleeting and it's elusive and it runs away. And they can say, I know all of that. I know this is ruining me. As they're reaching for the needle saying, it's no use, I love it. I must have it. That's the picture of God's people here. And it's the picture of us as well. It's the picture of us as well. We we thought we were shaking off God's shackles. We thought, finally, we'll be free. We won't have to serve. But we've just found a new master, a cruel one, a one who enslaves us. But at the same time, one who we love. Our hearts are twisted, so we love them, and we don't want to be free even at the same time as we do. I was thinking about this uh, this week, what this looks like, some examples in my life. I can say clearly, I know that hours browsing the internet when I should be doing something more useful or getting lost in the world of TV, it just leaves me restless and listless and without a taste for real life. And I come up out of it and I remember the real world and I pledge tomorrow will be different. I want to do something worthwhile. I want to do something useful. And then tomorrow rolls around. And the pull is just as strong to click and see what's happening. Another one I I know that when I nurse bitterness, when I refuse to forgive someone, I know what it it eats away at me. It sucks joy out of life, it kills friendships with people I love. But then it comes round again and there's that chance just to run through in my head what that person said that was so unreasonable. The awful thing he said, the awful thing she did. And it just feels sweet. It's it's no use. I can't seem to stop even though I know what it does. I know that when I try to change my behavior, change what I'm like to get in with an in crowd, or when I lie to cover up a failure, I know that what that does is means that I'm separated from people. They don't know what I'm really like. It kills relationships of trust and openness and intimacy. I know that's what will happen, but then in the moment I just so want to be liked that I go back there again. It's no use, they say. Often I say, it's no use. I love foreign gods, and I must go after them. I don't know whether the examples would be the same for you or different for you, but do you know that experience? That dead water offers a false freedom. In the end, we trade in our true identity, our true security, our true freedom, We find ourselves degraded and vulnerable, but enslaved, so we can't stop, and we keep coming back. Jeremiah says that sin is drinking. It's drinking from a ditch when God is on offer. And this is what the things that we drink from do to us. This is what they do. But of course, the problem is spiritually, just as much as physically, we can't stop drinking. You have to drink. And if you think that's all that's available, then eventually you're going to drink it because you have to drink something. And so if we want to break free from the slavery that false gods, replacements for God, hold over us, then we need to see, we need to get into our hearts again that God is a spring of living water. He really is this. He really offers this life, and joy and refreshment. And so, would you just turn with me to John seven? That's where we're going to page one thousand and seventy-two in these Bibles, John chapter seven, to help us uh, see this—a little glimpse again that God is a, a spring of living water. Just compare what we see of Jesus Christ here to what we see of every alternative in Jeremiah two. As you're turning, page one hundred seven two. Uh, the setting is: it's the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents in Jerusalem. The pilgrims come every year to Jerusalem. And to remember the way God brought the people safely through the desert for 40 years in tents. They come to Jerusalem for a week and they live in tents just to remember what it was like for their ancestors. And one of the things they remember and they celebrate is that for 40 years God gave them everything they needed, including water in the middle of a desert for upwards of 600,000 people. For 40 years he gave them water. And so every day of the feast they bring huge barrels full of water up the steps into the temple. And in front of all the people, they pour them out onto the ground. And the water runs down the steps into the people. It's a picture of the blessing, the water that comes from God to the people. And every day of the feast, they see it happen. The water poured out from God. Every year, as long as they can remember, they've seen it happen. Except this year, something doesn't go quite right. Something goes a bit differently. Verse 37 of John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John tells us, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. In the middle of all that water being poured out, remembering that God is a spring of living water, Jesus stands up and says, it is all about me. This that you're doing right now, remembering that God gives blessing and water, it's all about me. I'm the one who offers living water to my people. And Jesus' offer of water, very quickly, we'll just see this as we finish. It is for all, it's forever, it's for free. Jesus' offer of water, it's for all, it's forever, it's for free. It's for all. Verse 37. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, no one's excluded, everyone's invited, everyone's urged to come to Jesus, it's for all. Specifically, it's for anyone who's thirsty. And so I wonder, not physically tonight, which I'm sure we all are, but spiritually, as we've looked at Jeremiah 2, as we've looked at Where we end up when we follow the alternatives, the substitutes. Is there some thirst for something better? Some thirst for something that will give life and not death. That will give freedom and not slavery. Restore us to our true identity. If there is some thirst, then this is for you. Jesus Christ says, anyone who is thirsty, let him come. Jesus' offer is for all. It's forever. Secondly, it's forever. In verse 38, Jesus calls his water living water, just like Jeremiah 2. That is, it's water that gives life. And explicitly in John 4, earlier in the book, Jesus said it's it's water that gives eternal life. That's the power of the life of Jesus' water. It can never be overcome by death. It can never be threatened by death. Because the water Jesus gives gives eternal life. Life forever. And you see while we're in verse 38, the kind of Life it is. Jesus says, streams of living water will flow from within him. We saw earlier, we become like our gods. And that is true here. As we come to Jesus Christ, who is a spring of living water, he says water will fill us and well up and pour out, that we become little springs ourselves, like Jesus the spring. As we're so full of living water that it flows out from us. That's the sort of life that Jesus offers forever. Thirdly, it's for free it's for free we heard Isaiah 55 earlier didn't we come and buy water for free with no money and Jesus' offer is just the same it's for free if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink that's all we need to do to have thirst quenched to come to Jesus and he'll give water Jesus water it's for all it's forever it's for free And so can I urge, as I've been urging my heart this week, can I urge us to come to Jesus? To come to Jesus and trust that he is a fountain of living water. To come to him and ask again that he'll fill us with that water, that he'll make it so well up in us that it flows out. And in particular, in a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We're going to share bread and wine. We're going to hear again this incredible invitation, as we're invited to feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving, as we hear that invitation, come. Come to Jesus. Come with confidence. He's ready again to feed us, to give us life. Jesus Christ stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Let's pray together again. Father God, we praise you that you are a spring of living water. That you have so much life and joy and abundance in yourself that it can't help to spring up and flow out to others. Father, we thank you that we've been recipients of that Stream that flows from you. But Father, we keep turning. We keep sticking our heads back in the ditch and lapping at what's there. So please would you help us to see even this even, even this evening more clearly how good you are, how much life there is in you. And Father, as we come to you, would you again give us this living water